0: In the beginning, the earth was a dark, empty blob. God spoke and created the entire world. Light, sky, fish, birds, and animals. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image and created man out of dirt. And the man became a human being named Adam. After six days of work, God took a rest. God then put Adam in a garden where there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told Adam, eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you will die. Eventually, God caused the man to fall asleep, took out one of his ribs, and created a woman who Adam named Eve. God joined Adam and Eve together in marriage. Later, a serpent came and convinced Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying they would become like God if they did. Eve took a bite, and then so did Adam. Because of this choice, God cursed the serpent as well as Adam and Eve, and forced them out of the garden, away from the tree of life. Outside the garden, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a shepherd. When they made sacrifices, God accepted Abel's sacrifices of animals, but not Cain's sacrifice of crops. This made Cain so angry that he murdered Abel. People began to populate the entire earth, and wickedness and tragedy continued to spread. God was sad and regretted ever making human beings, and decided to wipe them from the face of the earth. But God found one man, Noah who walked faithfully so God instructed Noah to build a giant boat called an ark and to take his entire family along with the male and female of every kind of animal onto the boat for 40 days it rained and the entire earth was flooded wiping out every living thing plants animals and humans all of it destroyed eventually The flood stopped and the ark came to rest on dry land. Noah and his family came out of the ark and God made a promise that the entire earth would never again be completely flooded. God put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of this promise and God looked for someone who God could use to bless the entire world.
1: about you, but I just realized that I have something in common with Adam. I have a rather pronounced nose. <laughs> I love it. in a Great Britain, they love that. A couple of things that I want you to see here as we begin this incredible series this morning. We are going to be journeying together for the next 31 weeks looking at the entire story of the Bible, If you stay with us every week, if you do the readings in the book or in the Bible, because we also give you the Bible references, if you do your readings every week, by the end of 31 weeks, you will have read 70% of the Bible. So this is going to be a great opportunity for all of us to grow and to learn together. Now, in any given sermon, we only have a limited time. And we're going to focus on certain portions of the text that you read that week. That's why we offer a second opportunity to to come here or in small groups to go even deeper where you'll be looking at some of the scriptures we won't be able to have time to address this morning. So you take advantage of all of this and you are going to grow deeply in your faith. Well, as we begin this morning, I want to say something that might surprise you. How you, what you understand about creation, what you understand about the beginning of life impacts, literally, how you're going to live your life in this world. In those first three chapters of Genesis, we have great understanding of who God is, who we are, and why we are the way we are. In fact, when I look at the world and I see all the brokenness and despair and hopelessness that exists in so many corners of the world, all I have to do is go back to the beginning and it explains why the world is the way it is. Probably the most common understanding that's at least taught in secular schools that is contrary to the biblical teaching of creation is called the modern Theory of creation. It's the modern scientific theory. Now, there are different versions of it, but essentially they have this in common. You ready? The universe began as void and empty. At some point, there was a big bang which sent matter hurtling outward throughout the universe. Through countless incidents, hear this, of chance and accident, the possibility of life arose in a primordial a gore or goo. Life continued to press toward higher and higher forms until eventually, quite by chance and accident, evolving into what we know today as humanity. Now, that is what I learned in secular school as I was growing up. And not growing up in a Christian home, I knew the biblical story of God creating, but my perspective on the world was formed by what I learned in school. Now, if you believe this view of creation, the modern scientific theory, if you believe this as opposed to the biblical view, here's where it leads us. Now, think about this. In the modern scientific view, there is no God. If there's no God, there is no accountability for life. If there is no God, there is no absolute truth. Truth is defined by each and every person or maybe by each and every subculture. But there is no absolute truth. If you believe the scientific theory, history is just a mere accident. What has happened was just by chance. What has happened is just accidental. There is no purpose. There is no design. If you believe the scientific view as opposed to the biblical view, Future cannot be determined. There is no security for the future. There is no security even for today. If you believe the scientific view as compared to the Christian view, the biblical view, then the meaning of life can only be found in what happens to me now and what I can build in this world because once I take my last breath, it's over. And if you believe the scientific view, life is rather meaningless. It doesn't really matter. If you die, it doesn't really matter because you cease to exist. What we believe about creation, friends, absolutely matters. Genesis 1-3 to is the great explanation of the world, and so what I want to do in the time that we have available, and I'm going to move fast, is I want to make three statements, and there are many more in each category, but I want to make three statements that are true about God, and if you believe these things, it will impact your world and your life. Then I want to make three statements about you and me, humanity, and then I want to make three statements about sin. The brokenness that is a reality of our world and our lives. So let's move into this right away. Number one, what do we learn from God in the first 11 chapters of Genesis? Number one, God is in control. God is in control. No human being is in control. God only allows allows us to experience the decisions and choices we make in this world, even if they're rebellious. And here's the tragedy. We, who are innocent, are touched by the sinful desires and choices that others make. And we're going to see why that is as we go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and then 3. Here's the great reality, though. I believe that God is sovereign over all things. I believe that God is in control of all things. COVID is not in control of all things. No government is in control of all things. God has allowed Satan some free reign, but he still holds Satan back. He still is in control. Nothing happens beyond his purview. Now, that creates challenge, and difficulty for us. Because what about when evil touches my life? What about when God allows something in my life that is painful and is difficult? Friends, here's the reality. You are not created to live a lifetime. You are created to live an eternity. God's view is eternal, eternal. Our view, sadly, is often just what we see and experience in this world. There's a great story about a woman and a husband that were um, found each other later in their 30s. They got married. Neither had ever been married before. And they immediately knew, if we're going to have children, we've got to do it now. We've got to do it now. But the wife and the husband when she got pregnant, she wasn't able to hold the child. And, and she kept having miscarriages. And they cried out to God, and they cried out to God, but she just, for whatever reason, they weren't able to have children. And she said, in the midst of her despair, she went to Romans twenty eight eight twenty eight, which is the very first verse I memorized when I came to Jesus as a teenager. Here's what it says. And we know that in all things, all things... God works together for good for those who love him. She said, I remembered that verse and I believed that verse. And I prayed and I continued to look to God. And then he brought into our life these four precious boys that they adopted. That became their children. She said, I could not imagine life being any different than these four precious children that God allowed us to raise. I know that all things work together for those that that, uh, love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, when I think about creation, does anybody love to go to the mountains and just think about the incredible things that God has made? Anybody, just me, a few of you, and the ocean? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I love both those places. And when I go into the mountains or I go to the ocean, Sometimes I'll just sit and I'll read Genesis 1 and 2. And I'll think about how incredible God is. Listen to what it says here. And God said, this is in Genesis 1, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry ground appear. And listen to this, and it was so. Day after day after day, God would speak for six days and each day it was what? It was so. It happened. This should change the way we pray. This should, if you're not a prayer person, this should lead you to prayer. Because the God who we look to is the God who can speak in a moment and change everything. Now, there are many times I'm asking God to change things, to transform me, to transform the world in certain ways, to help us to reach our community. But God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has a design. And the beauty of it is that it's not my plan, and it's not my design, and it's not my purpose. It's His. And there are days I don't understand. But I continue to pray because I know the God that I come to. It's the God of miracles. I've seen it many times in my life. And when I look at creation, when I sit in the mountains and I'm sitting by a tree and I'm looking at these little tiny things that God made, like these little ants that are crawling all over me, and I'm, and I'm thinking, wow. And then I look at this giant sequoia that I'm sitting next to that is hundreds of years old and I think, wow. God said, and it was so. Do you ever think about that when you pray? It's extraordinary. Here's the second thing that I want you to see. What, um, what we learn about God, second, God is involved. And the word here is passionately with his creation. God is passionate about what he made. Every day for, for five days he said and it was good. And then he created Adam and he said it was very good. When he created humanity, he said, and it is very good. God is passionate about what he has made. He is passionate about you. He is passionate about me. And this flies in the face of those who believe that God created the world and just walked away, or that God created the world and he stands off at a distance and just watches what is happening. No, God is more committed and more passionate about what he has made than you are and that I am. He is more passionate about me than I am about me. That's the God that we worship. Listen to this. And then God said, the details, think about all the details of just the human body, that God made all of that to work perfectly and in sync with one another, the different organs and parts of the body. Listen, God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. God thought of everything. He thought of everything. Here, here, enjoy the garden. Look what I have made for you. Enjoy what I have created. The Bible says in in, uh, the book of Romans chapter 1 that just by looking at what God has made, We can know God. We can see God. We can encounter God because it reveals who He is. And that includes you and me. Here's a third thing that I want you to see that is true about God He's the God who provides. Friends, I want you to hear this. He is the God who provides. God had placed in the Garden of Eden, and we'll say more about this in just a moment, but He placed a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he, uh, then he placed all these other trees there. And he said to Adam and Eve, hey, you are free to eat the fruit of any tree in this garden, any tree you choose, except for the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall, you shall not eat from that tree or you will surely die. Well, Adam and Eve, as we'll see in a moment, were tempted by, by Satan, tempted by the serpent, and they both eat the forbidden fruit, sin enters the world, the world would never be the same again. Now there's brokenness in our relationship with God, which Jesus Christ would come to heal. There's brokenness in our relationships with each other, which Jesus Christ came to heal. Brokenness in our relationship with ourselves. We can't even take responsibility for what we have done and are doing. Wait, does that sound like the world today? Does that sound like the world since the beginning Um, after Genesis 3? Absolutely. But God, in the midst of that rebellion, as they rebel against God, they eat the forbidden fruit. What does God do? He extends kindness and grace and goodness to them, which is what he does for you and me as well. Listen to what it says, that God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife, and he clothed them. He covered them them. Because the Bible says they were naked and ashamed, which I'll explain in a moment. But he clothed them. It's the first sacrifice. A sacrifice was necessary. And so God sacrificed the animal, took the skin, or animals, took the skin, and he covered Adam and Eve. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, God would send his very Son to be the sacrifice that would become a covering for all who would believe in Jesus. That covering is the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus would become the ultimate sacrifice that would cover our shame, that would cover our brokenness, that would enable us to have life now and forevermore. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But he is the God who knows what we need better than we know what we need. He is is the God who provides. Now, what do we learn about ourselves? We are part of creation. What's the implication of that? That he is God and you are not. He is God and I am not. He is to be worshiped and obeyed. He's more than my friend, he's more than my big buddy. He is the holy God of the universe. And he is sovereign over all things. Why do we worship in song every Sunday? Why do we worship in prayer every Sunday? Why do we read the Word of God and worship every Sunday? Because He is God and we are not, and we fall before Him and we say, God, have your way in my life. Lead me, guide me as I serve you. Listen to what it says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the what? Dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Only God was there from the very beginning. Only God is eternal. You and I were created. We are created beings. Our position before God is that we worship him and we lay our lives before him. We get that confused, don't we? We often think we're the center of the universe, that everything revolves around us. Our family revolves around us, our friends revolve around us, and sometimes we even think God revolves around us. All that matters is us. We see that in Genesis chapters 4 to 11, as we come to Noah, we see that people could care less about God. They don't worship him. They don't obey him. They turn their backs on him. They rebel against him. As if they are the creator. As if they are equal to God. And it's not true. Here's the second thing I want you to see about us I love this. God created us and endowed us with dignity, worth, and value, honor. This is amazing. This is an amazing reality. God created us in his image. In his image. What does that mean? It means that he stamped his character upon us. Why does every culture in the world have a sense of justice? Because God is a just God. Why does every culture in the world hunger and thirst to love and to be loved? Because God is a God of love. And so there's still, even though sin has profoundly marred and impacted that nature that was created, or that character created in the image of God, there's still part of it that cries out for freedom to become all that we were made to be. And apart from Jesus Christ, we will never experience that. In a moment, I'll share why. But we also read this. And I always loved this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, God placed one tree of all the trees. He placed one tree. Why? To give Adam and Eve the choice to love him or to reject him, to trust him or to rebel against him. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm God, I'm far too insecure to do that. I would have made them so all they could do was love and obey me. Right? I've got three children. And they're a bit of your brother and sister, not you. But there were times with your brother and sister, Katie, that I'm thinking, God, why couldn't you just create them so all they could do was love me and obey me? Life would be so much easier. But friends, isn't that what a robot is? How can you have a relationship if there's no opportunity to choose not to love? If all my children could do because of the way they were created is to love me, that's not very satisfying because that's all they can choose. And so God creates and allows them to have choice because he values and honors And he gives us worth and value. This is amazing. And then, I want you to see this. What we learn about us. We are responsible to care for creation. Listen to what God said. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to what? Work it. What? Here's a shocker. Work existed before sin entered the world. Now, one of the consequences of sin is that God said that work would then become a toil and not joyful. But work existed before, before Adam and Eve rebelled against God. You know what I love about that? I have eternal purpose. I love that. I love the fact that God has wants me to work and created me to work because it gives me value and purpose. He has a design for me. He has a design for you. He has a purpose for you in your life and that purpose fits who he made you to be, who he created you to be. Work is a gift. It's a gift. And I believe that we'll probably be working for an eternity, but it'll be a little different from what we experience in this world. But then listen to what he says. We're to work creation, and we're to care for it. We're to take care of it. Now, this is something that I didn't pay attention to for a lot of years in my life. God loves the world he made. He loves the world he made. He does not want us to disdain what he has created. He wants us to to love what he has created and to allow what he has created to help us to go deeper in our relationship and understanding of him. That's what he wants. But we are to take care of it. For many, many years, um, I was not a recycler. Now, I did recycle newspapers and cans because in Michigan, you get 10 cents back on every can. I mean, that added up. It was amazing. we put these cans in, and kids would have their friends over and drink pop, and, and we, would, we would put these cans in the machine, and man, we'd get like $25, $30 back. I loved it. Newspapers, you could take them down and get money. They'd weigh it and give you money. But beyond that, I didn't recycle. Then I was planted in a neighborhood, and there we had a neighbor who was an environmentalist. And um, he ended up uh, coming to Christ, coming to the church, it was amazing. But he was talking to me about recycling. Now in Michigan, you don't get just certain cans, uh, trash cans, you have to pay for them. So it was going to cost me like $35 a month to get a recycling bin, a recycling can to bring out to the curb and they would pick it up and recycle. And I was so cheap that I didn't want to do that for a lot of years. Until I came to understand not only this verse, but the responsibility God has given to me for what he has made. It has made me a lot more sensitive, a lot more careful with how I live my life in terms of the impact upon what God has made. And I began to recycle, and uh, we're big recyclers today as a family. And I think it's important because God said, take care of what I have created. Take care of what I have made. We go on and we see the impact now of sin. What do we learn about sin? Sin has consequences. You saw on the little story summary for today's readings that we come to the story of Noah. Noah. And God looked, and here's what he saw. Now, the the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, who was the righteous man that God found on the earth, he said, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy them and the earth. Now, God brings a great flood upon the earth, and only Noah and his family and uh, the animals uh, that they brought upon the ark survived it, and the world, in terms of humanity, began again, began in a fresh and new way. Now, friends, sin has consequences. God is, he doesn't, he knows what's happening in every place in the world in every moment and every heart and every mind. He sees the sin. And God is a holy God. He hates sin. As he is passionate about what he has made, he's also passionate about our rebellion. And as we see in Genesis 3, there are natural consequences to sin, which I already described in terms of our shame. But there is also, there is also, and we have to pay attention to this. God brings consequences. Childbirth would become painful. Now, I was there three times when my wife gave birth. And I think it is painful. Am I right? (laughs) I know because Beth was really squeezing my hand when she had contractions. No, and it's really painful. It's a horrible pain. It's, It's a terrible pain. Work would become toilsome. We're banished from the Garden of Eden. And now death, physical death is a reality for us. But God has also said that there is another consequence to sin. He said for those who never choose to believe in Jesus, that when they die in this world, they will live in eternity apart from him. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine a place where God is separated himself. Friends, that's why I'm passionate that to, to tell people about Christ. Eternal separation from God is the consequence of sin, and Jesus dealt with that for all who would choose to believe in him, who would be called to be his children. So that we don't have to experience a consequence because Jesus already experienced it in our place on the cross. Here's the next thing that I want you to see. What we learn about sin is that Satan is the great deceiver. He's the great deceiver. Listen to how he deceives Eve. Eve. It's how he deceives you and me today. We see it throughout the Bible. We see the same strategy when Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, goes out into the wilderness and Satan tries to to derail his ministry, tries to derail his obedience, tries to get him to disobey God. And so we read this. The serpent, who represents Satan, says to the woman... You will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from this fruit of this tree, you, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. That's a lie. It's not true. Yes, their eyes would be opened to the reality of evil, but they would never be like God. And they wanted to be like God because this is just our human nature. We forget that we're the creature. And he's the creator. And they want to be like God. And so he deceives her. Now what, what is Eve thinking? We don't really know. But here's what I think she's thinking. Wow. God's holding out on me. There's something better. He's keeping me away from that tree. Because he knows if I eat the fruit of that tree. I'm going to be like him. And he doesn't want that for me. This is the foundation of sin. Believing something that is not true about God. The belief there is that God doesn't want the best. That God is going to pull me away from that which is really wonderful and really great. And it's not true. It's not true. As tragically Adam and Eve would find out because they are the only ones who have ever experienced Eden. And the reality of brokenness. Friends, Where is Satan tempting you in your life? Maybe he's tempting you to believe that, you know what, you just married the wrong person. You don't need to stay with him. You don't need to stay with her. It's just the wrong person. Go find somebody else. Or maybe he's tempting, you know, yeah, you're angry, but everybody deals with anger. You're okay. Don't deal with that in your life. Just ignore it. Or, you know what? What you get in this world is up to you. It's okay to cheat a little. It's okay to be a little dishonest. It's okay to promote yourself. God has dealt with me in some areas of my life where I have bought into the lie that God can't be trusted, that there's a better way that he's holding out on me. Here's the last thing I want you to see this morning. What do we learn about sin that sin has completely marred our humanity. I believe that what Jesus is doing in the lives of all who believe in him and all who are laying their lives before him, he's making us like Jesus, which means he's making us as we were intended to be. He's making us more into what we were created to be. When is life most right? When I am what I was made to be. My car doesn't run on diesel fuel. But I can remember when diesel fuel was cheaper than gas thinking, you know what? Maybe this wouldn't be so bad. And then my book says, unleaded fuel only. Yeah, but you know what? That's a lot cheaper. We think we're so smart. But we only see narrowly, God sees all things. Where are you being tempted to disobey God, believing that God really doesn't have your best in mind? That he's holding out on you. That you've got a better plan than he's got. He made you. He knows what is best for you. And he longs that you would experience that kind of freedom. This is an image I want you to see. It's called, oops, do you have it on there? It's, I'm going to let you guys take care of me here, because I'm messing up. Do you see a, something called the Johari window? Oh, my gosh, I don't have, I'm, Okay, now I'm going to have to read with you. Um, my bad. About 10 years ago, I went to a conference and uh, they shared this and it really struck me because I began to think this is what Christ is doing in my life. This is what he wants to do in my life. Remember we said that the man and the woman were naked and not afraid at the end of Genesis 2. Now, certainly it meant they had no clothes on, but it was more than that. It's a theological, spiritual reality that there was no shame, there was no guilt, there was openness and freedom in all relationships. Relationship with God, with each other, even with ourselves. Honesty and openness and integrity, it was wonderful. And then the minute, the moment that that Eve Eve bit into the the fruit and and Adam bit into the fruit, suddenly it says their eyes were opened and they were what? Ashamed. What is shame? Shame is a natural response to choosing something that God never intended for us. We are a shame-based world, but I want to say to you that Jesus Christ came to heal the shame. It says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead of shame, I have forgiveness. Instead of hatred, I have love from God. God and it empowers me now to live in a different way its potential now what they talked about the johari window is just four quadrants and i want you don't tune me out because this is really helpful what i know about myself and what others know about me that's what i'm open about yeah you know, i share things about my life that's what i'm open about what a person knows about themselves and is known by others in in the group or the team or congregation whatever family whatever, relationship, then if you go to the right, it's what others know about me and I don't know about myself. That's a blind spot. It's true about me, but I don't want to see it. What does Adam and Eve do when they, as a result of the shame? They run from God. They hide from each other. And then the man blames the woman and God for the sin, and the woman blames the serpent nobody takes responsibility does it sound like the world today explains it so here it is my blind spot it's what you see and I don't see because I don't want to see it right I don't want it to be true about me I hate that it's true about me but it's true about me you see it but I don't I I I refuse to see it bottom left is what others don't know about me and what I know about myself. That's my facade. That's where I'm hiding from you. I want to project something that's not true about me. I'm so cool. I'm so spiritual. I'm such a great athlete. All these things that I want you to think about me, why do I do that? Because I want you to like me. It's a facade. And then finally, what I don't know about myself and what others don't know about me. Things that are just so deep and hidden, I don't see it and other people don't see it. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. So I believe in Jesus. I've given him my life. And the more that I experience his grace, here's what happens that number one column, what I know about myself, what others know about me, it grows. The facade begins to crumble. The blind spots I become aware of. And that open area grows. And the more it grows, the healthier I am in my relationships. The healthier I am as I look at my own life. Over the years, there have been things that people have have mentioned to me, and I'm like, that's not true about me. Then I start thinking about it, and it's like, man, that's really true about me. I remember when Beth and I got, first got married, and she we had this really tiny house. It was about 800 square feet. We had to go like this to get to the bathroom because the bed and the dresser were like this far apart. So you had to go sideways to get to the bathroom. And Beth had put this really bright light for some reason in the bathroom. Now, if I looked like her, yeah, I would do that too. But I don't look like her. And I remember the first time looking in the mirror with that bright light, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to see that. I don't want to know that's true about the way I look. Blind spot. Now, Beth knew it, but it was a blind spot. I don't want to live with that. I want to be real and genuine and authentic. And Jesus Christ dying for me on the cross... It's dealt with my shame. Now, I still struggle with it, and we all will until the day we die. But the more I experience the love and grace of God, the more that disappears. That's amazing. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, boy, something that is just so familiar to us. Oh, the creation of the world. Those who have grown up in the church have seen this hundreds of times and yet lord there's so much there that we didn't even touch on this morning so much for us to learn that really does change the way we live god help us help us to be those who say no to the to the things that would drive us away from you and say yes to you say yes to your love say yes to your healing grace to know that we are loved That we don't have to run from you because our sin has been forgiven. That we don't have to hide from each other because we're so loved by you. What's there to fear? That we can be real about who we are because, God, you're greater than our sin and our brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen.